Welcome to Hyperborean Radio. I'm Celtic God. With me today is the Lorekeeper. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back. How you doing, Lorekeeper? I'm doing great, and uh, I'm actually kind of think it, I'm excited about what we're going to be talking about today because we're actually talking about one of my favorite topics: stories. Stories, yes, and the canon, the through line. There's all kinds of wiggle room in storytelling. Unfortunately, our world right now is populated with very bad storytellers. Well, they're going to, they're going to do that thing where they're going to tell their version. Yes, and they're going to fix it. They're, yes, because it was so discriminatory. They're going to some fix nonsense. something that they didn't even read or watch or look at in the first place. Yes, and this is all over the place, and it's making our people, understandably, absolutely infuriated. Right. Well, and a lot of it that we focus on is the use of our folklore, our, our indigenous folklore, to use the... The, the indigenous northwestern yeah. Eurasian folklore. Yes. And it's everywhere through our media, and they twist it just nonstop. Sometimes they get it so right, it's painful. I'm convinced it's an accident. Yes. I mean, some of them we actually have trouble trying to figure out which one... Is it on purpose or is it on accident? Because they get so close, like Hagrid and the Dogdo or uh, Groot. I am Groot and Spriggan. It's like, did this happen on purpose? Did it happen on accident? Did someone along the line when the character was being made know what they were doing or did it just happen on accident? And based on the behaviors of most media now, I am leaning towards on accident because we've even discussed like, well, why with the Vikings TV show, why did they twist the actual historic events and put people where they, in time periods that they didn't belong in and put events in the wrong order? And it comes down to not just marketing to get people to watch it. That's why they're doing the storylines, the characters that they're doing. What it comes down to is so that they can copyright. So if you, if somebody out there listening was to do a TV show and they was to put Rolo and Ragnar in the same time period, well, you're going to get your pants sued off. That is copywritten because Rolo and Ragnar weren't alive at the same time. Well, that's kind of... It's why they want to switch the lore. It's not always just because, oh, we just want to make it more interesting. But if you present, say, Groot, who is basically a Spriggan, but he's actually an outer space floral colossus or whatever his species called... Well, now you can copyright that. You can't copyright a Spriggan because it's folklore. Right. But you can copyright Groot because he's a Spriggan in outer space, which really I don't have a problem with so long as it's done correctly. It's when they do Spriggans and instead they show him as a troll. Or that's not even accurate. As a mountain troll, as the stereotypical mountain troll or an ogre or a goblin. Well, and at that point I have major issues. Well, and Spriggan in our lore... This is one of the examples of the through line. A Spriggan is always a Spriggan, but a Spriggan can look multiple different ways. And there's some disagreement or at the very least some variety in how they originate. Some say they're the ghosts of giants. Some say they're baby giants. Others say they're elderly giants that have gotten small over the years. Some say they're a kind of troll. The reality is, is we will not really know because even if you went up to a Spriggan and asked, first of all, they don't have a very broad vocabulary right. i am groot <laughs> or uh we are spriggan or something uh, yeah yeah it's but this is our best guess and it might have been because spriggan said it at some point it might have been because we kind of figured it out based on how they look quite simply the answer is yes yes the answer is yes because they're all correct but they also might all be incorrect and, and it doesn't matter it really doesn't matter so long as the spriggan is always a spriggan well, it's like Paul Bunyan. You can take Paul Bunyan and basically put him anywhere across the north woods of the United States from uh, freaking Cascadia to New England. Mm -hmm. So long as he's always Paul Bunyan, he can be seven feet tall. He can be 70 feet tall. It's not his height is not part of the through line, but he's always. I mean, he does always have to be a big guy, but he doesn't have to be 70 feet tall. Yeah, He doesn't have to be a freaking titan. And probably well, a babe, the big blue ox. Yes, that that just helps. It's actually that if you think about it, that's not even required for the through line of Paul Bunyan. No, he's got a huge amount of <laughs> figures that are with him in his lore, 
But Paul Bunyan doesn't require any of them to be Paul Bunyan. Exactly. And that's sort of the through line that allows the canon, quote-unquote, to be consistent. Because I'm not talking about, like, Lord of the Rings canon. Because Lord of the Rings is, it's books, everything that Tolkien wrote is more or less intended to be canon. It's pretty solid. He wrote it like a history textbook. But our lore, our canon, more or less, has more of a through line. Mm -hmm. The consistent trait where how exactly it happened or certain details can be switched around or changed because they're not solid. Either because you could argue we don't 100% know or simply put, it's never been the important bit of the story. Like, for instance, Odin and his eye. Odin's eye... He lost it due to knowledge. Now, did he rip it out? Did birds peck it out? Did somebody else rip it out? All these stories exist. The through line is he's missing his eye, and it was it was a learning lesson. Yeah, he, he, he did it. <clears throat> he, he lost it because he was looking for knowledge or information. And now the why and the how and right. all these did other things. Did he steal it? Did he, did he pay for the information with his eye? Was it a punishment for stealing the... the all that doesn't matter so much. That's not part of the through line. The knowledge and the missing eye, that's the through line. The, everything else is the details around it, which can change. Well, and our people can instinctively tell when something's a bit off because, like, a lot of times there's a lot of artistic depictions of, say, Wotan. And Wotan gets conflated with Othan a lot. But I've noticed something. Whenever they're depicting Wotan, they give two him two eyes. eyes. Almost yeah. always. They always give him two eyes. Yeah. Well, and this kind of ties into actually the website that we're building because everybody's going to be confused. Well, most people would be confused that follow us when they first show up and they're like, what the hell is this? This is a fictional made up story. And it is on the surface. But the through lines are going to be based off from our lore. And there's going to be a whole other section where it is literally just our lore. It's not fictionalized at all. It's just the way that it is or the results of our research. So both these things are going to be, be on the website where we have the research material in conjunction with the fictional story. The fictional story is built off from the research material and we're offering both at the same time on the website. I'm just mentioning that because I can see people going there and being like, what the hell? These guys lost the plot. We haven't lost the plot. They've gone mad. Yeah. Mad, I say. Because there's a, a responsibility that goes with storytelling. You have to be accurate. You have to maintain the through line. Like, <clears throat> even talking to non, non-whites. I hate that term. But Non-hyperboreans. Not us. Yeah, not non-hyperboreans. Talk, talking to them. And once they realize what an elf actually is, they get pretty much as upset as I do. They're like, it is not right for them to do that. And they're not even elves, by the way, that you're describing them. Don't know what they are. Uh, and then the reality is, is most elves are actually based off of fairy. Yes. And then most fairy are based off of sprites. Right. And then once, once they understand, and it really only takes me less than a minute to get them to understand, these are European, effectively religious figures. That's when they're like, oh, shoot, there should be no such thing as a, an elf from African descent or Asian descent, they should all be played by white people. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, they should be in the first place, even if you go off of fantasy elves, because as far as I know, there's not like a band of right. brown well, because elves. Those Tolkien are based lore. off from our actual folklore. Yes. So once they realize that all this stuff is based off from our folklore, which is from the common perception, religious stories, you don't fuck with religious stories. Well, and that's part of why trying to explain to people that the lore, it's not just a set of mythologies. It's not a book. It is all of the stories. Mm -hmm. And they're all springing from us. They're about how we deal with things. Well, ultimately, it breaks down to telling the story of a people. And simply put, it's too broad to ever fit in a book, which is why it's carried in the folklore, which is why... You can't write it down. You can. Like, it's not like you physically can't. It's not like the magic right. Bible where if you write it down, the words magically twist into whatever the true <laughs> yeah. word of God is or whatever people seem to think. No, it's it's too broad. And because it's living, we usually, 
we used to bring them with us. Like, if there was a story set in, I don't know, the, it's so old that it's from the Iron Age or something. If you told it today, you could. it would be told in such a timeless fashion that you could put it in today just as easily as the Iron Age. Yeah, and if you actually look at the, the lore, that's how it's told. It's told in a timeless fashion. Some things are kind of dated, but we can still go to castles today. Oh, yeah. So, we, can, we can still build castles today. I mean, there was a whole period where they were building uh, fairy tale castles just to make the fairy tale castle a thing. Or the, the fairy tale tower. Rapunzel, Rapunzel, yeah, let down my hair. Have you ever seen a skyscraper? I yeah. mean, it's not a pretty tower. It is an abomination of a tower. Yeah, even but the pretty ones. But it is still ones. a tower because guess what they're still called? Towers. Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down thy hair. I'm on the 37th floor. This isn't possible. Are you insane? And the, yeah, so one of the fun things that we've been doing is watching, watching media as aggravating as it gets and identifying our folkloric figures that are directly translated to screen, even when they get them wrong. And one of the things that really irritates us is like Disney, for instance, they do a lot of research, a lot of research because they will get all these minor details of our folkloric characters that they're selling to us. They get that right, which means the stuff that they get wrong, they do it on purpose. I don't think that they're doing it with the, aha, we're going to really mess with the white people. now. No, they're doing it so that they can copyright it. And part of it is pushing their message, but I don't think it's the way that most most people in our spheres would take it. Where, oh, they're just trying to screw us over. They are, but not in the way that you're thinking they are. Well, the thing is, is they think that we don't care. Well, it's just made up. Well, it's not just made up. That's the thing is almost everything in our media springs from the older lore, even if unintentionally. Like Chewbacca is just a freaking wood woes. Yes. Uh, Groot, well, wood woes in space. Yeah, wood woes in space. Same with Groot. Spriggan in space. I mean, the freaking entire Guardians of the Galaxy cast is basically just a bunch of fae that went off on a space cowboy adventure. Yeah, uh, effectively, that's what it is. It's fae in space. Fae, fae cowboys in space. Well, all five of the major Guardians. Uh, Mantis is basically a pro one of the versions of a proper European seer. And then Yandu, the blue guy with the arrow, that magic arrow, that's pretty much straight out of Fae. Yeah, it's the magic arrow. Yeah, there's a lot of magic arrows in the lore. Uh, yes, where they don't even... He, he happens to have the version, which is reflected in our folklore, that doesn't require to be shot. No, it just moves around. It, yeah, it just goes on its own. They, they tell it where to go. They point. There's some, some folk, folk tales where they literally whistle the thing into existence to hit hit their target yeah face stuff doesn't have to make sense but it is effective yeah so yandu is yandu is a fey quill is effectively once you actually dig into his lore not based off just off the movie but you dig into his comic book lore he is effectively puck he's a reality warper a very powerful one like his guns and most of his tech are literal plastic toys yeah his uh, as revealed by by rocket the raccoon who is yet another fey yeah, he's a fae or trickster god. He's kind of got some goblin-esque traits as well. Well, and that's another thing is because a lot of our spirits and lore and all these things are reflected off of us, it's almost inevitable, which is why we're always torn. Is it on accident or is it on purpose? Because there's another really famous example of a goblin that everybody likes. Edna Mode. Oh, yeah. From The Incredibles. She is a straight-up goblin. She's a straight-up goblin. Yeah. Like, one for one. Yeah, diminutive. Uh, she's just basically, what if you took a goblin and introduced them to the world of high fashion, and then they got bored of that and decided to help superheroes right, instead? Right, because the goblins aren't what you see in Tolkien. No, they're not just mindless cave dwellers. That Well, and Tolkien loved his people. That's part of what has me to where I don't think the fuckery is necessarily on purpose in the way that people would think. Well, they're just trying to insult us. No, they're trying to make a profit. He was trying to tell a story. He was trying to tell a story that not just his children could enjoy, but all of his people. So the English people, because that's who he wrote it for, right? So that they would have a story. But he got things wrong. 
Why? He was closer to it then. Was it just so he could turn a profit? Part of it might have actually been marketing because it is copywritten. It is. There are legalities around it, which his descendants then sold off. But because these things are not correct, well, that means it's able to be copywritten. He might have also fallen for the trap of combining certain things because it's not uncommon for the elves and the fae to be conjoined in the lore but that's yeah. also they're also conjoined with people right because uh the pagans the heathens the good fellows and he didn't have the internet he had to physically go places to get, to the, get lore. the information and he did a really good job because he actually got something right that most people don't which is well yes there are stories after christianization or after influence from semitic lands of the one man one woman thing that actually isn't how most of the lore presents the beginning of the Hyperboreans. It's more like a whole tribe, yeah. which is actually something Tolkien got right from the bit of like the Silmarillion and the lore that I do know from Tolkien. So he got something right that most people who have been doing this for decades get wrong. Yeah, even people in the current modern day who have access to the Internet. I mean, Askin Emblux keeps in... Uh, in the Eddas with Othan and his brothers making Askin Embla, they keep the the idea of we're from the forest with the trees, but it's so loose. You can tell that it's been heavily Christianized. Right, and it would have been easy enough for, uh, because, um, what's his name? Tolkien was aware of the Eddas. It would have been easy enough for him to just go, okay, this is it, and then run off with it, but he didn't. And even there in the Eddas, one man, one woman, he could have started the the world that way the the middle earth that way and he could have done the same thing with the elves because it makes sense if that's your viewpoint but he didn't it was entire peoples that grew up basically out of nowhere like a field of flowers well and it's fascinating to me how how people like tolkien and c.s lewis could get so close and yet so far Mm -hmm. and then still remain really christian it it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I mean, I understand like on a social level, being a actual pagan or heathen during that time period would have been social suicide. Mm-hmm. But it's still that because they went so far as to be to be apologists to actually promote Christianity. Right. That's the confusing bit to know that much about the lore and still favor this other thing. Well, and if you haven't noticed, we're not bagging on people for writing new lore, new stories using our traditional folklore. We're not Muslims. We're not Christians where everything has to be locked into a, a specific time period. It's, it's in our nature to tell new stories, to bring our gods, our spirits with us. As a matter of fact, we encourage it. But if you're going to show a fairy, show a damn fairy. Don't show a sprite and call it a fairy. If you're going to show an elf, I don't know how you'd show an elf, but show an elf. Don't show a fairy. If you're going to show a dwarf, do a dwarf. Do a lore-accurate dwarf. Don't call him a gnome. Yeah, and don't... And And don't call the gnome a dwarf. Yeah. These two things are flipped over from our folklore. And yes, there is some conflation through the, um, through the, the various folklores. Like, everything was dubbed an elf at one point in certain areas, but... Then if you look at the actual translations versus the scholars talking about the translations, all of a sudden the names kind of change. Well, it's like there's a, like four or five different words in uh, the Scandinavian languages that are translated to elf. I don't think they actually necessarily mean elf because they have a word for elf in Scandinavian. Within the language. I mean, I think it's even in the Eddas. I don't know if it's still active in Scandinavia, but elf? Like the the whole A with the funny Yeah, e. the weird A. Uh, yeah. There's a couple different spellings for it that I've seen. But they have a word specifically for an elf. But then to translate, say, Tomte to mean elf, well, that's not actually accurate. It's accurate enough, but it's not accurate. So I understand some of the conflation because it is written down. It is on old documents. Old, it's, it's written down in old writings. Well, this thing was called a house elf. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Like well, uh, Dobby. I, I get calling them a house, uh, house elf. But to call them an elf is not actually accurate. 
Um, well, and then there's many different kinds of quote unquote house elves. Yeah. And I can understand why you might call it a house elf because it's supposed to remain out of sight. It's pretty rare to right. see your house spirit. Uh, but there's brownies, there's kobolds, there's Tomte, there's Damavoy, there's the little the Gaelic house spirits with the little mice with yes, like the bonnet, the, the mice and the the, the songbirds, and yeah. So I get I get some of the conflation and doing that on accident. I don't hold it against people that do it on accident, but if if we know what the right story is, we should tell the right story. Well, and go ahead. I was just going to say, one of the things I wanted to bring up is I noticed this a while ago because one of the uh, things in Gaelic lore, so like Irish, Scottish, things of that nature, is when the church came in initially, it made something called Celtic Christianity. Mm -hmm. And Celtic Christianity is very, very, very weird because it what it basically did was make all the gods either become like parasitic spirits or become basically uh, saints. You can actually find this in a lot of the written down Celtic mythology because of the fact that a lot of the pagan stories and a lot of the Christian mytho the the Celtic Christianity sort of got mishmashed. Mm -hmm. So you can find stories that are uh, infuriating, to be put it mildly, of like Brigid, the goddess Brigid, converting to Christendom and becoming Saint Brigid. Yeah, and these are actually accepted by a lot of the Irish or Scottish as canon. They're accepted as part of the actual story. And this is where the corruption of the stories comes into play. Because the, the, the uh, lore, when it's corrupted, if it's not removed, it's built upon. Mm -hmm. And that's how you end up with a huge amount of people that are still venerating Bridget, still venerating the goddess Bridget. They know that St. Bridget and Bridget are the same, but instead of understanding this as propaganda, this was a corruption of the story. They instead view it as Bridget saw the light of Christ and converted to Christendom. Yeah. No, I do not see Bridget doing that. And the, they, they claim the same thing with the dog. Do they claim well, the same thing uh, with a lot of them? That's why they... Sometimes it's manipulated. The stories are manipulated on purpose like that. Other times less so. And then s sometimes they're manipulated on purpose, but it's repeated so often that people start thinking that is, that is the story. Like Banshee are evil and they come along and they kill people. And that's what they're screaming is about is they're busy killing somebody. That's not at all what the Banshee lore is. The Banshee are not evil. They don't bring death. They are mourning for a family member because the families are tied to the Banshee. However, from every movie, uh, not every movie, but from many of the movies that's come out, many of the, the written stories, they portray the, the Banshee as an evil death wailing figure. Well, they're killers. So that's what people think they are. That's where the responsibility and storytelling comes in. And when these things are, I, when we can identify these things in the story, we need to protect the actual figures. And I, I don't know, um, but never actually attack the story because people get attached to the stories. I, I noticed that you, you instead of attacking the story, you attack the story writer. Be like, I, yeah, that's a cool story. I don't know why they didn't just tell the real story. What? Oh, yeah, the Banshee, they're, they're not evil. The Banshee actually wail because... They are keening their mourning for the death of one of their family members. The Banshee and the families are actually tied together. And you'll watch the other person actually start getting, instead of getting mad at you for taking the story away, they get mad at the storyteller for telling the story wrong. And that's what we need to do. And well, when they try corrupting, twisting our, the, the, existing, or the ones that already exist in, um, in media that we love, we have to stand up and say no this is based off from a religious figure which then by proxy makes Groot a religious figure you can't take Groot and change him well it's part of the reason Marvel both the comics and the movies have such a successful formula is they directly took from the mythology and they and, still do well and even if we don't realize it because we 
instinctively recognize and are drawn to our actual lore. Like uh, we were talking well, about. Well, it's, the- it's Walt's mission. It's not the corruption of the story. It's to bring the people's stories back to them. In, in a more modern way of presenting it. Because movies... I would argue until they got to like more modern style video games with the ability to interact with the story and whatnot, movies were the best medium for telling a story because of the multimedia nature, because it gets you lost in the story if it's done right. Mm -hmm. But because of these elements, it's so integral to get certain things right. But even when they're doing things completely on accident, you get things like the opening scene of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, not the the flashback but like where they're fighting the oh, monster the real opening yes the real opening not the not the fat that they it's were too just, egotistical it's fat yeah. tacked onto the story it oh yeah it. that's the main issue with the second Guardians film is it's like 45% fat you could cut the movie down by half but that scene where they're all fighting the monsters and baby Groot the Spriggan is just dancing to the music it's five fey five heroic fey fighting an angel Right. That's basically what that is. If you take the yeah, physical... that Lovecraftian horror is an angel. It is technically a biblically accurate angel. Yes, because they're not all how they're depicted in the biblically accurate angel. There's multiple biblically accurate angels, and they're all horrifying. Yes. Well, uh, based off from the ones that they do describe, which would be the prettier ones, yeah, yeah, it's five faith. Five pagan gods fighting, well, not even actually all five of them fighting it because Groot doesn't even get involved. So four pagan gods fighting an angel, an Abrahamic angel. That's what you're watching. And then Groot, who is a guard, he is a guardian. Like that is actually what the Spriggans are. They're guardians. He's unconcerned. Now, bear in mind, you got a supposed human in there. And he is unconcerned, and he likes that human. He is completely unconcerned and just happy dancing around. This shows the power level of the Guardians. These are all effectively gods. They're god-tier fey. They're fairy. And, yeah, that's why they can do things like, hey, can you get me some tape for the death button? I'll go around and ask people if they got tape. And they're just, they have a freaking fleet of Things and a freaking they're in the belly they're of a stopping god and having conversations in the middle of a battle and arguing over tape and it's believable yeah because That's the thing is the way that's set up it's actually understandable they can stop and fight without even thinking about it while they're having a conversation about tape yes and this is you look at the guardians of the galaxy and you think this could not be further removed from traditional pagan that's what they want you to think lore. but no it's Literally, all you do, all you do is you could almost cast Guardians of the Galaxy if you took it in a bubble without looking at like the broader Marvel lore. Mm-hmm. It's basically what if Puck decided he wanted to play Space Cowboys? Yeah, and the thing is, is well, from what you guys have said, Puck is so powerful he could just wave his hand and guarding Guardians of the Galaxy too, and all those those drone ships will blow up. Yes, but what fun is that? Yes, and Puck is. What nothing. would that? Would that make his friends feel useful, welcome, powerful? Absolutely not. However, him going just beyond what is what they think he's capable of, that makes him heroic. That makes them feel like, like the way he wants them to feel. He wants them to feel important. He likes them. Well, it's like basically Quill, who is like the Puck equivalent character, Basically, whoever he's fighting, he is as physically strong as who he's fighting. Yeah. Well, like, actually, he keeps himself just a little less mighty. So that he has to be tricksy. Yeah. Tricky. Because, like, Gamora, Drax, all the Guardians are all planetary level threats, including Quill. So when he's fighting them, but then he fights a normal person and he's still just on the same level. He's now, doing it on purpose. Yeah. It's because it's fun. It's He wants to be a hero. Yeah, and the hero is the underdog, so right. he's always got to be just under the yeah. power level. And he wants friends. So that means his friends have to feel special. They have to, uh, they have to feel as special as he views them as being. Because th- that's the thing is, think of it like when you're a child. Your, your parents, if you had a good family, I know that's... Uh, anyways... 
the adult, the adult that you was around, they made you feel special. They made you feel like you could do things if you was raised well or had access to a good, good adult. Either way, you know what I'm talking about. Even if you didn't experience it, you know what it should be. The adult makes the child feel like he's capable, makes him feel special. Oh, wow, you did this thing. And sometimes the adult can do the thing, but will intentionally fail or almost accomplish it and re- requires the child to step in and save them. That's Puck's relationship with the rest of the guardians. He doesn't actually need them, but he likes having them around. They are special to him. So then what do you do? You make them feel special. You make them feel needed because they are just not the way that they think they are. Well, and Puck is a reality warper, but he's not all powerful. Right. Because he can't make them like him. He could make copies of them that pretend that they like him, but then they don't actually like him. Well, and then they're just basically moving flesh pockets that he's made because he can't, like he's established, he can't bring anything back to life. He wants real friends. He wants to be a real outlaw hero. And that's what that whole story is oriented around. It's as if Puck went to space and he's like, you know what, I want to be an outlaw hero. And I want lots of friends and I want to be admired and loved and liked. So then everything that he does is oriented around those things. But he can't force people to like him. Otherwise, they don't really like him. He can't force people to love him. Otherwise, they don't really love him. So he has to get them to want to. Well, and Puck doesn't know everything. Yeah. So, like, things can go around in the background that can eventually come to bite him and his friends in the ass. And he just doesn't know what's going on. He's not all powerful. He's not omnipotent. He's a reality warper. A very powerful one. Yeah, a very powerful one. But there is a difference. He's not omnipotent. And he's not all powerful. Well, and that's the thing is as the... As the lore has gone on, it's changed genre. Like back in Greece, you had like Greek tragedies and Greek epics. And then you had the actual like folklore going on between different people. Like, oh, that's the shed where I saw Sylvanas banging the goat or something. And the important thing is always, it's not the details of the story. That's why Guardians of the Galaxy can be a good movie. The details isn't actually what matters. It, It is, but it's not. It's the through line. It's the details of the through line that's important. They can be, if you take a ferry and you put it on a mound in Ireland, it's a ferry. If you take that same ferry and you put it on a mound in England, it's still a ferry. You take that ferry and you put it on, uh, uh, I don't know, US 1, so long as it's, you treat it like a ferry, guess what it is? It's still a fairy. You put it in outer space. So long as you you talk talk about it, treat it, describe it as a fairy. Guess what it is? It's a fucking fairy. That's the through line. The fairy has remained consistent. That where it's at doesn't matter so much. So long as it's a fairy. So long as it's a fairy. It doesn't matter what the character is. Um, mer- uh, uh, Ariel is not a mermaid. No, the, the Little Mermaid is not a mermaid. She's a goddess. That's why. That's part of why everybody's so offended by this new Disney movie. Yeah, if you and w- it's not just us. You would think it's just white people would be pissed off about it. Just Hyperboreans angry about it because oh, how dare they? It's the other people too. They're like, this isn't right. I don't know what's wrong about it, but it's just wrong. And it's the original cartoon has her being a red-haired white fish lady but they understand it's more than that the the ones that are honest the ones that aren't just absolutely hateful towards us they know that it's wrong and they don't know what it is as soon as i explain to them oh it's because she's actually a goddess not a mermaid mermaids are something else completely different then they're like that's it yes that's it there's something fundamentally more that's wrong and then once I explain that she's a, a sea goddess, they're like, ah, oh, fuck, that's what it is. No matter what you do with her, she has to have this appearance. Her hair color could change, but she has to be a white lady with a fishtail. Well, and one of the giveaways should be her father's Triton. Yeah. Well, I don't know if she, her father's Triton in the But you can make tale. her blonde, you can make her brunette, you can redhead... But she has to be a Hyperborean with a Hyperborean woman 
with a fishtail because yeah. she is a goddess. Yes. Actual mermaids are closer to probably oh, one of the, those are some serious body horror. Yeah, they're monsters. They're they're fish that are human shaped to hunt people. Yes. But they're um what's the word? Harry Potter, the fourth movie with like the the fish mermaids, those are lore accurate. That oddly enough that's one of the few things the movies got more lore accurate than the books cuz the books go more uh more vaginoi or yeah. uh whereas in the actual um lore they're fish they're basic they're fish that are human-ish in shape yeah they're humanoid fish yeah. that, it, it, there's no mistaking them they are a fish they got scales the big eyes the the, the green hair is seaweed yeah the green been. hair is seaweed uh, some some of the stories have it where it grows out of their head but it's still described as seaweed that's growing out of their head yeah they're not uh there are they're monsters. Yeah, they're monsters. And there are... And, and they're textbook monsters because they eat people. Yes, they are by they get definition close to you, monsters. You do not want to meet a, a mermaid unless you want to fight because it is going to try and eat you 100% of the time. Yeah, and uh, as uh, deadly as fish are, because if you don't believe me, uh, have a fish while you're in the depths of water really want to eat you and be unarmed. Yeah, ask a scuba diver. Yeah. They will tell you just how dangerous fish are. And... Don't confuse the, the mermaids with the nymphs, the water nymphs. They're in paintings all the time, and they'll paint them as, like, just regular women under the water. Those are goddesses. Yeah, those are goddesses, but don't confuse them with those because some of the artists will actually describe them as mermaids in, in the title of the paintings. Oh, they've conflated uh, nymphs. They conflated um, mermaids. They conflated sirens. It's been a problem that we've had for a while, and it takes a lot of digging to sort all this out, which is the bulk of what we do is sorting it out. Well, and I think some of it at times is because they don't 100% know what something looks like, so it just becomes popular conception over time. Like the sirens. Mm -hmm. Really old depictions of sirens are women with, like, bird bodies. Yeah. Which there's very harpy-like. Yeah, they're kind of harpy-ish, but not harpy-ish. Well, they're kind of modern harpy because I don't think the original harpies quite looked like well, that. Well, and the sirens themselves aren't actually described in... Uh, what what the hell? The Odyssey? That? Yeah, the Odyssey. Uh, and if they are, I apologize. I will admit that I'm wrong if you can show me. But I don't recall them actually being physically described, just the siren's call and its effect. I think they might have, but it's been a while since I've read that epic. Yeah, it's been. I haven't read it in about 20 years. I know I've years, seen so many different versions. I'm perfectly willing to be like, yeah, I might have this part wrong. Well, I've seen them depicted as living water, like water sh that is right. In the shape I've seen of them depicted a lot, like the harpies, the living water. I've seen, seen them depicted sexy as, women as yes, obviously the sexy women as mermaids. What people think of as mermaids, which is actually a type of goddess. Uh, I've seen them depicted even as like uh, portions of it's like a kraken-like monster, where it's actually like this multi-tentacled monster thing. Yeah, and I think that's that's more accurate to... Actually, I don't know, because Scylla is... Oh, no, I'm curious. After we're done recording, I'm there, probably going to go look this there up. There are so many sea monsters just in Greek lore, and yeah. they get conflated a lot. They do, especially in the, the, the later tellings of the lore. Like, uh, even the Minotaur. The, the Minotaur, everybody knows who the Minotaur is. Well, you think that you do, and you are partially correct. Well, and the Minotaur in really, really old... Where it was a deity. And it's funny because people try to take the, the common idea of the Minotaur and then the idea of the Minotaur as a god and then just be like, well, the Minoans venerated the Minotaur because they were terrified of it. And I'm yeah. like, you're like, using... No. <laughs> well, well, because it wasn't uncommon. I mean, the, vis the, the visage is correct. Well, and they've been corrupting the lore for a long time. Mm. It, it's, it's actually a form of warfare. Like ancient Greek city-states used yeah, quite, to... Quite plain and simply, it's spiritual warfare. Yeah, the some of the Greek city-states used to take the god when they would conquer an area and just bastardize the living fuck out of it. Well, there's historic documentary uh, documentation, sorry, where they would come in, uh, the conquerors come into the conquered area, and then they'd make, um, what are those things called? Uh, uh, it's like the straw men that, that you, effigies. They would make effigies of their gods and burn them, but that didn't stop the people from, or destroy them in some way. But that wouldn't stop the people from venerating the deities, so then they resorted to telling different stories about them. Oh yeah, Medusa becomes a monster, you know, despite the fact that her visage was used as a protective amulet. 
the Minotaur becomes a man-eater instead of a horned god. It, it goes on and on and on. Uh, they, some of the gods get cast into the sea. Some of them get cast up on the mountains. Some of them get skinned. Yeah. It, it's, it is spiritual warfare. Oh, yeah. And as the church moved across, it did the same thing because it's effective. It is effective to alienate a people from their own deities and lore. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to import your own deity, right. but it's a really effective means of messing with the people. Right. Well, and the thing is, is them the way our folklore is commonly used now, it is spiritual warfare. Do not get me wrong. I think most of the people participating in it don't realize what they're doing. Only the decision makers sitting up at the top understand what's going on. If you work at a gas station, you're told to mark this soda as 99 cents. You just mark the soda as 99 cents. Don't question anything about it because you just told the market as 99 cents. Doesn't matter. If you're if you work at a factory and you're told take this doodad and put it on this what's it and turn it three times, that's what you're going to do because that's what you're told to do. You don't even think about it. You don't question it because your boss said to do it. Most of our population right now is set up to do that just follow orders just do what i say don't think don't question yeah don't think just consume product so yeah don't think just consume product so most of the people doing it aren't doing it with malicious intent i will however lay that responsibility on the ceos the decision makers sitting up at the top they know that they're performing spiritual warfare on us that's why they're, uh, I don't know, Angry Booty from God of War, which we didn't talk about really in our God of War podcast. That's why they did her the way that they did her. Yeah, they that, didn't do Anger Boda bad in the sense of personality. Her, yeah, her personality, her behavior pattern was just fine. But they did her skin the way that they did as a form of spiritual warfare. The lower down artists probably didn't even like doing it, but they're like, eh, I'm paid to do it. At least they got Thor and Othan as good as they did. Yes. I, I take that as a win. And Kratos, as much as people are like, Kratos kills the gods. I don't like that either. But Kratos as a character has been a net positive for our people. Everyone I've seen that really likes Kratos. Well, he brought attention to it. Yeah. Well, and, and, and there, there's people that had no interest in this that I, I knew and or knew and or met recently in real life had no interest in any of this. And then that God of War came out and they're like, that was so cool. They know that I'm that I follow the old way. So they come to me and ask me what's accurate. I know things are messed up in it. What's right. What did they get? Did they get right? Did they get any of it right? And then as I tell them about the things that they got right, they actually become more and more offended about the things that they got wrong because they see that it was done on purpose. Oh yeah. Well, like the, the fourth God of War game, I was actually so happy with how they did Balder mm -hmm. because people always gloss over if Balder can't be hurt, Balder literally can't feel anything. Yeah. Anything. It's a logical conclusion. And then, of is course. It, is it lore accurate? Well, it's not explicitly stated and it's not against the lore either. Well, and they even kind of got his personality because Balder is very talented and he is well liked by some, but. I think the best way I've heard I've seen to describe Balder is he's he's the golden child. He's like Joffrey from Game of Thrones, but less malicious and more competent. Yeah. So we can take advantage of 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 what the the, the broader media is putting out, but we're we're actually picking up the the mantle and we're trying to tell a story. I hope it's a good story. We're in the process of world building and putting the website together right now. But if what we're going to do is try and represent our people's traditions, customs, folklore, and it's a futuristic thing, but I'm toying with the idea of actually bringing in the occasional fairy, the occasional dwarf to actually interact in that world directly. But they're going to be presented accurately. And I hope in a fun way. One, because it's entertaining to us. We need entertainment that we can that we can look to. We're not Muslims. Well, all of We're our stories the Hindis. And even the Hindis tell fucking fun stories for them. Well, all of our stories were first and foremost entertaining. Yeah. That's why you keep telling them. And then people like it because it's like, oh, the Spriggan that guards that rose. 
the the fairy that's up at the mound. The oh, I saw Macha's cabin. It all of a sudden appeared in the moor, and I went over to it and knocked. And there was this weird owl-like lady. And then I was like, oh crap, I'm running away. And then well, didn't and see the, it. Thing, the thing that we want to do is when we do show these things, people can actually learn from our stories because we're learning from stories anyways. Why not? It can be done. It can be done. I hope that we do it well. And if you guys want to to participate, to watch, join our Patreon. It, there's You can go watch as we're building the, the site. You just check in every day or two, and you'll see where things are changed, added, moved around. All you got to do is just dig through the website, and you can do that. You can give us feedback on there because there's certain things. I mean, we might not think of everything. Well, no, we're just – we're – Two guys and a few other people. Yeah, the, the only thing is, is trying to base things as accurately as we can off from the actual lore. Now, like with our last, uh, our last podcast, that's one of our characters, Bella, a holographic algorithm that is part of the archives, which is the library of the people, which is the act where we're putting the actual lore and researches in that archive. And then the story takes place outside of the archive. She's a fictional character. That's fine. It's, it's actually good. And I like that some people actually like her. They've seen her picture. They've uh, a little bit of her, heard a little bit of her story, and they like her. That's good because then it makes them want to go into the archives and like listen to the, the Easter podcast that we did. They, they want to absorb some of the real information simply because they like Bella. Oh, yeah, because like uh, the Telegram, we have written thousands of posts at this point but nobody's going to go and scroll to the top and try to read down just to find the thing that they want Mm -hmm. so that's why we're putting and updating them like we're finding what we've already written and putting them on the website with in many cases a little bit of audio clip right building them into the building them into the story whether it's it's research or story yeah they're being built in it's because the story is based off from the research. Well, what we're trying to do is get people to, like we've said before, we're trying to give people back the lore they always should have had. Yeah. That you never should have been disconnected from. You never should have not known about it. And then from there, you can decide where to go from there. Right. And the idea that fairies are just made up, that's not right. The idea that giants, well, you can do whatever you want with a giant because it's just a fictional character. It's just made up. It's fantasy. It's folklore. It's just made up. No, it's it's a religious figure. Well, it's like uh, Puss in Boots 2 that came out recently. Mm-hmm. There are so many things they got right in there that it was shocking watching it. Like the giant in the early scene. That is yeah. a Celtic giant. Yes. That is a Gaelic-style giant. Uh, the death the wolf. That character is basically Velico. It's not quite a one-for-one, just like Hagra is not a one-for-one. But it's close. It's It's, it's eerily close. It's eerily close. Not the sight. uh, A lot of people get excited about the stupid swords. No, not the stupid swords. The the personality, what he does. Well, and then he's even, they even have him where. He's not even the bad guy. No. He's just the protagonist. The antagonist. Uh, Antagonist, sorry. He's just the, yeah, I'm pro Velico. Um, But yeah, he's just the antagonist. He's not a bad guy at all no well and one could even say that he's actually a positive force yeah with how he acts and helps puss uh through fear yeah but but that's i mean sometimes, the, the threat is real yeah sometimes you have to be a little threatening to get the idea across but we've been bringing the gods and the stories with us the whole time yeah it, we've brought it up before joker and harlequin hagrid and the dog uh, nanny mcphee and frau holda we're bringing them with us, even if we're switching the names up. But you can see them if you know what you're looking at. Groot and Spriggan, Tinkerbell and Sprites. And they're intentionally warping it a little bit. And, and this is the thing that I found fascinating, and I wanted to make sure I brought this up, is we have a specific way of dealing with the lore where we always bring it forward with us. It's part of our lives. We can see it all around us. Even if we know the story is so old, we have no idea when it's set. This is where the interesting bit comes in, is when the church was coming in, first of all, most people had no idea what the frick the religion was about. Just read bits of Grimm's fairy tales with time-traveling yeah. siblings that become the apostles. It's, it's an interesting uh, look at folk Christianity. But 
what we did when we got the biblical figures and they wouldn't let us have our actual figures is we just started treating the biblical figures the same way we did the pagan figures. Because we would take like David, who is demonstrably like thousands of years old in the Middle East, and put him in medieval Central European garb. Because, well, that's what everyone wears. Why wouldn't David wear that? And the church is just like, because he was thousands because of years old. Because he's been dead for thousands of years. And they're like, then why would you pay any attention to him? Did he do something did heroic? Did he become a god? No, he's just, is, I don't is understand. He, is he like a hero? Okay. Um, but did he do anything for, okay, then why, what's wrong with the outfit? I made him look nice. <laughs> look, oh. look, I even gave him a fancy hat. And then the church turned around, and what they did was they took that biblical attitude where things are set in this past, and they put it on our lore. Yeah. Because the mindset was so ingrained that we started treating our gods the same way. Because in the medieval era, they depict the gods as in medieval garb, Mm -hmm. in the the fancy dress or the the accurate dress of the time. Like we were talking about how in the Renaissance, they started uh, painting like... Uh, the Greek and Roman gods in this romanticized past. Oddly enough, uh, I haven't seen too many of them, but you have, where they they actually paint scenes, like the ones that I'm kind of hoping people do, where the uplifting parts mm-hmm. of the story, like Thor playing with his kids, except it's not Thor playing with its kids, it's a big redhead playing with his kids. Yeah. Or uh, It's done on accident. Yes, it's done on accident because we know these these ideas, these these stories, even if we don't have them anymore. Mm-hmm. Othan uh, talking excitedly with the beggar at the bar. You have old man and beggar at the bar. And it, specifically, one-eyed old man. Yeah. You start doing it on accident. We're, we're bringing them with us whether we want to or not. Well, because they're there. So we, might, we may as well learn to recognize them and protect them. Well, and I, Because I, they need it. They need it because if not, they're going to get warped. They're going to get warped like the Minotaur becoming a, a man-eating monster. Like Bridget has found Jesus Christ and was saved. Like and, what happened to the Little Mermaid. Yeah, like what happened to the Little Mermaid. They're going to keep corrupting these things. And the way to defend them is not to be, we must be rigid in the story. It was set in this time period. They ate this for dinner. They said this thing. No, but the through line, the through line has to stay stays true right well and like with the little mermaid somebody asks you why you're so so upset because well it's just a fictional character it's just made up it's fantasy they can do whatever they want with fantasy um fantasy characters say yes yes you can but this mermaid as portrayed is actually a goddess it is a religious figure and watch them start like being like what what it's not that's exactly where they go it's not just made up be- because it's true, it's not. They they think that it's just made up, which is why most of the population is okay with the bastardization, the warping. They're like, well, it's just fiction. I don't see what you're so upset about. It's just made up so they can do whatever they want with it. Until you point out these figures, by calling it a mermaid, by calling it a, a fairy, by calling it any of these names, or even imitating the way that looks, it doesn't matter that changed the name. It is a religious figure. And then watch them start backing up. Well, and like the Little Mermaid, for instance. Hans Christian Andersen, even though they are literary fairy tales, he based it off of older folklore in many cases. Now, he took creative liberties, but like there's a story he did about the stork bringing babies. Mm -hmm. That is actually a part of the lore. Like it's related to gods like Easter and Holda. This is actually a thing with them. They, or, they, or Reynard, you can track down when the first story was written about him. And while this isn't directly taken, that's the claim that they'll, well, it's fictional because it's not directly taken from folklore, which is true. It's not a direct one for one, but it was still taken from folklore. Well, and here's the thing. Existing folklore at the time, which then by proxy makes Reynard a religious figure well, because he's a fae. Yeah, well, he's a fae or a trickster, like Rocket. Yeah. That's what he's basically representing. But like Reynard, even in his name, which I think means hardy counsel, wise counsel, hard counsel, it's a tie-in to the fox as the advisor to the bear. It's from really old lore. And, and even if the stories are more modern, it's like Charlemagne and King Arthur. They're both based within older customs. Even though Charlemagne is Charles the Butcher or whatever, Charlemagne's stories are based in older lore of that area. Right. There's, 
Well, and, and I forgot what the word is called. It's uh, they do it with Bugs Bunny and uh, an- anthropomorphic, anthropomorphized animals. Yes, that's not something new. That's actually really old. But notice a lot of the animation for these figures are getting even more traditional, like Reynard. Reynard is a fox. He only has thumbs when he needs the thumb. Other than that, he never has a thumb. He has four paws. Yeah, and he's not a normal fox because he's been skinned alive and then just walked away with his fur coat. Like, how do I get this back on? Right. And they can talk. And so none of this is new. When you watch cartoons, that is traditional European storytelling. That The Looney Tunes weren't pulled out of thin air. No, and that's actually one of the things that you notice is like, because I was thinking of this, Wiley Coyote. Because everyone's like, oh, the coyote is wise trickster animal because of the engine lore. We don't view it. We're like, oh, yeah, the trick, uh, the wily, the coyote is wily. Yes. It, it's a bit it's a bit tricky, but they're dumb and unsuccessful. Yes. And that's how we depict wily coyote. Mm-hmm. Whether on purpose or on accident, it doesn't matter because the effect is the same. Yeah, that's going to be the thing is all the stories, all the stories. They're part of this overall through line. They, because it doesn't pop out of nothing. The superheroes, the, the, the Starcraft warrior, whatever. All of it is from a story tradition that's so old we don't know when it started. Mm-hmm. It's as old as we are. And I noticed in our, in our circles with the superheroes, there are certain, certain ones that are really popular. Same way as the villains, certain ones that are really popular. But then when you go to the Abrahamic group, they have other ones that are really popular amongst them. Like Superman is really popular amongst Christians. It's not that necessarily pagans hate him, but they're like, but why? Well, it's because he's a mixture of, he started out as a Herculean Paul Bunyan-esque figure. Right. Well, like when I described the, the, the original Superman, people are like, yeah, why did they make him so he could fly? Why did they make him so that he shoots lasers out of his eyes? Why did they make him? They don't understand because... We like the original Superman better, which is basically just Hercules on steroids. Hercules and an American flag. Yeah. Yeah. That's the original Superman. What they did with him, though, was turn him into an Abrahamic deity. I do like that canonically uh, Hercules can beat up Superman. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Oddly enough, Shazam can take him one-on-one at least a bit, but that's because he literally has the strength of Hercules as one of his attributes. Well, and then take this into consideration. Kryptonite. Kryptonite weakens and or kills Superman. What is Kryptonite? It's the truth. He's, he's faced. Every time that he's faced with Kryptonite, he is faced directly with the truth about who and what he is, and it weakens him. It is a beautiful metaphor. Well, and there's different kinds of kryptonite that have different effects on him. Yeah, which imply, well, which reflects, reflects the multiple truths. It's, it's an amazing story. I don't like Superman. I like the original Superman, but I don't like current Superman. Yeah, su- well, it, current Superman, is, he's a bad guy. Well, it's like Batman. I like Batman. But I understand why he's getting to this point where he's actually a negative impact on the culture. Yeah. And I freaking love Batman. But he is... I like the intent of Batman. Yes. But Batman is, in his current form, what he is is he's upholding the rotting, corrupting order. Mm -hmm. He's encouraging it, protecting it. Well, in fictional character or not, there's enough people. His symbol is about as recognizable as the freaking crucifix. Batman has a hero cult. He can be a fictional character, but he has a hero cult. Yeah. And that hero cult, unfortunately, carries on certain negative attributes of the character. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the whole point is, is our stories are our stories and we need to protect them. No matter who's telling them, we need to step out and be like, no, this is our story. And yes, I am offended because they took, uh, I don't know, this elf and turned it into an Asian flying lady. That's not what an elf is. You want to know why I'm offended? It's because the elves are religious figures. It would be no different than them taking um, taking the, the angels for Christians and turning, in, turning them into something that they're not. I mean, shit. Christians get offended when you show them biblically accurate 
Well, it's because they're not actually angels. venerating angels. They're mostly folk Christians, and it's ancestor yeah. veneration, and they darn well know it. Just look they're, at how they depict them. It's their kryptonite. Yeah, their kryptonite is the truth of their own religion. It's why I'm not a huge fan of Christians. It's not the religion itself. It is, to an extent. But it's because of what it's done to us. Just like I mentioned, they took the Christian storytelling, which is half the rigidity. The inability to bring the stories with you, which has caused us to place all of our lore like it's in the distant, far past right. instead of bringing it with us. But there's also this other element, the occulty element of Christianity, where you can do it's whatever you want it to be. So it doesn't matter if it's inaccurate. Yeah, the canon doesn't matter because it's a. Yeah, it's it's weird. I just I well, I can't I can't understand it. But um, this whole thing of. Because we're we're right right towards the end. So my, I guess my point is, this whole thing of it can be whatever you want is not accurate, but it's also not accurate to say it has to be this thing locked in the past. The through line. The through line is what matters, and people will say our gods have been sleeping and they're waking up. No, our gods have been with us and awake the entirety of the time. They've been screaming. And roaring at us. And fighting for us. We just haven't been listening. It's time to listen. All right. Uh, that's all I got. I'll see you guys next week. Well, and I'll just say, our people are story venerators. They're how we learn. They're how we become the best version of ourselves that we can be. And this is even carried into Christianity because just as much as Christianity infected paganism, paganism infected Christianity. And one of the giveaways is most people, when they think of the Bible... They don't think of the Bible as what it actually is. They think of it as the magical storybook with every good story that is at the beginning of every fairy tale movie. And with that, the lore keeper's out. <laughs>